You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. I love that part. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Again, thank you for joining us here tonight. If this is your first time, fill out the connection card as you're on your way out and drop it off on the offering plate. And we're so glad to worship with you tonight. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated and take your Bible to Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. I hope you had a great week. You are staying cool. You are somehow battling against the heat. Your power hasn't gone off. Hopefully the lightning storm hasn't affected you too much. But I'm so glad that you're here. Take your Bible to Acts chapter number 10. And let's get into God's word this evening. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who attended yesterday as we did our backpack giveaway. Thank you so much for everyone who took the time and invested into, uh, we had well over 200 vehicles that came through. So uh, we gave away, I thought we were going to give away 250 backpacks. Well, your all generosity, we were able to, uh, I thought, well, all right, let's increase it to 500. Well, sure enough, we actually ended up having 600 backpacks to give away. And that's exciting. That's great. But uh, our church, the mission of our church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. So the most important thing is not to provide a, a student with a backpack, with a mask and some sanitizer. The most important thing we could do was the lane where we asked everybody to drive through. We wanted to pray with every single vehicle. And uh, there was one exit where they could go through and just pass on by or one they wanted prayer. Well, we tricked them. We put people stationed at both ends. We wanted to make sure we prayed with people. And uh, so most exciting thing was uh, we saw several people make a prayer a profession of salvation more important the backpack that's the most important thing is when people give their life to Jesus Christ we gave them a Bible we gave them uh, an invite to our church everybody got an invite but we want to rejoice that one more soul has been brought into the kingdom of God one more name is written down and we don't know how much time we have left on this earth but with the time God gives us we want to be busy about our father's business so i'm so grateful for it It looked to me about 25 plus volunteers yesterday and it was hot and uh one of our amazing volunteers even said they now have a face mask tan a tan you know with a face mask so you know everywhere else it's nice and bright and then you got a little face mask tan and so i thank you for those of you that still endured and you came out god bless you for that well, uh, next week is going to be also another exciting week. We're going to be doing baptisms. And if you have not uh, gone public with your faith and been baptized, well, you can uh, fill it out on your connection card so we can get you a part of that next week. And then we'll have something special after church. We'd like to do a little, uh, we used to call them after service socials. This kind of sounds like 
old school, but we're going to have something to, for, for everybody after. If you don't have to rush out afterward, we know it's hot and it's warm, so we're going to have a little treat right after the baptisms and everything, if you could stick around next Sunday. So be a part of our services next week. Look forward to what God's going to do there. Acts chapter number 10, you're seeing another seminal moment in the life of the early church. We're looking at a study entitled Church in the Wild, and we're looking at how the early church navigated some turbulent waters because our church finds ourselves, like every church right now across the globe, finds itself in very difficult days. Uh, you find yourself in a day where uh, you fight for the freedom to uh, have a church service and a lower court judge says, yes, a church in California, yes, you can have an in-person church service. And then uh, another higher court in California meets uh, an emergency session late last night to rule that no churches cannot have in-person gatherings. And so it's, it's difficult times. It's difficult times to be a pastor. It's difficult times if you're uh, involved in the Christian school to be a principal. It's difficult times if you're a Christian man or woman trying to raise up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's a, it's a difficult time. And so we need to encourage one another. We need to support one another. We need to be praying for one another. And so the life of the church, I felt like it's so important that we look back that because sometimes it's, it helps to get context for the church because sometimes we can feel like, well, Maybe we're the only church that is suffering, doesn't have a building, going through things. No, the early church, no building, suffering, going through things. This is, this is nothing new that our church is facing. This, is, this has happened well before you and I arrived on this planet. And so we're, we're looking at the book of Acts to see how the church navigated these waters. And now we're in Acts chapter number 10. And what I'm seeing now happen, I'm seeing many pastors and now, I'm not here to judge a pastor or anything like that, but I'm hearing pastors say, we're going to open up and we're going to gather once it's safe. That's what I'm hearing. Pastors say, hey, we're going to gather once it's, once it's safe. And uh, until it's safe, then we'll see you online. And, and we think that's good enough. The only problem is the fact that you're seeing, like last night in the city of Chicago, 16 different shootings. Last week in North Carolina, and a five-year-old's riding his bike in front of his house, and he's gunned down in cold blood. Uh, you're seeing gun sales up 151% over last year. You're seeing all of these terrible statistics coming out, and the answer, the hope, is found at the local church, and yet we're the ones that are being told, hey, it's not safe to meet, not safe to gather. It's so funny because the church in Greek is ekklesia. If you want to know the name for church in the Greek, it's the word ekklesia. The word ekklesia means called out. It's interesting to me by very definition of what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be called out, but yet we have spiritual leaders that are saying, stay in. And so we need to look at the book of Acts that they always went out. In spite of persecution, in spite of what uh, authorities may have said to them, they still went out. They still uh, pushed forward. But it brings this question to mind. And this is the question I'm wrestling with. And I want to wrestle with it for the next few minutes with you this evening. It's this idea that when people say, let's go back to church when it's safe. My question with that statement is the fact that when did Christianity become something that was all about our safety? You see, I think we've gotten too comfortable here in the American church. Where we've gotten too relaxed. We've gotten too coddled into the thinking that Christianity was all about safety. Now, I want to live a long life just like you do. I want to raise children just like you do. I want to 
marry off my kids just like you want to marry off your kids. I want to see my kids graduate and get high school jobs. And I want to see my kids uh, grow up and, and eventually get married and have grandkids and be able to retire. I, I want all the things that you want. But yet it's interesting at times we can put those ahead of what God wants for us. And we can put safety and comfort ahead of serving Jesus. And I know that it's easy to be afraid of what might happen, of the what ifs. So we choose safety. The only problem is don't try to make the church all about your safety. Because that's never why Jesus established the church. Church was never about a place where we would come just because we know that's a safe place. You want a safe place? Then go to your college campus. I heard they make safe places now. That's where you can go. That's a safe place. You want a safe place? Church was never called to be safe. We were called to go out into the highways and hedges and to compel them to come in. And nowadays, more than ever, I love it whenever we do some type of an outreach like we did yesterday because I get to talk with so many people and probably, probably almost half of the cars that showed up stopped and we prayed with them. And just tears start welling up in their eyes because you know they're, they're, they're feeling it. Whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, they're feeling it. And I'm reminded that our faith was never meant to be something that was about our safety. And so this evening, I think, The issue about safety is that we're actually afraid. You see, we're afraid because we want direction. But we don't want just direction. We want detailed direction. Any of you, you can't just take a simple direction. Like somebody tells you, hey, my house is down there on the right. You're like, no, 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 no. What color is your mailbox? Where's your address? Where's your zip? Don't just give me general directions. I need the deets. I need the details. I want to know down to the last letter. I need to know everything. Isn't it amazing that we're like that? But think about this. Why do we want clear directions? And why do we want detailed descriptions? I think I know why. Because we want to remove all doubt from our life. We want everything we do in life to be doubt-free. We want the person we're going to marry to there to be absolute guarantees that they'll never cheat on us, we'll never fight, we'll never have any problems, that we just want it doubt-free. You want to work for a job that you just know, I will always have this job, and they will always give me my 3.5% raise every single year, and I will continue to get more and more vacation days, and I just want it doubt-free. There never has been, and there never will be, a doubt-free guarantee for your life. But it's amazing today, as Christians, we expect that of God. We think that God needs to always give us the clearest direction and that God needs to always give us the details. And granted, sometimes he does. Other times he does not. But the question for us is some of us won't make a move until we have those. Some of us, would, some of us today, if we were with the 12 apostles in the boat on the Sea of Galilee would never step out of that boat until you knew or you saw somebody else get out of the boat and saw that the water became solid. You would never see God do these great things. Why? Because your fear has led you to live a life that says it's got to be safe. And for it to be safe means everything has to have clear direction. I have to have precise details. 
then that'll eliminate all my doubts, and then I'll move forward. There's all kinds of doubts. There's all kinds of things that'll hold us back. But I want us to see here in the life of a man by the name of Peter. Peter is the one that, when it comes to his relationship with Jesus, was an extraordinary relationship. And I believe he's got some powerful things to teach us. So let's turn to God's word. Acts chapter number 10, verse number 1. And I'll ask you to be seated because this is a long passage. We're going to spend a little bit of time. And so let's go through it. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up before me for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. And if you have a copy of God's word, would you underline the word Joppa? There's a great study that you could do on Joppa. And we're going to get into that. You might want to highlight or underline the word Joppa for that city. And send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angels spoke to him, he had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Notice, Cornelius right here is not a saved individual, though he is moral. He is not a repentant sinner, though he has good values. Though he lives a life of morality, piety and generosity he's a lost sinner and he's in need of a savior here's this man and look how easy it is for him to obey God there was no argument there was no hesitation it was okay you want me to send for a guy by the name of Simon Peter I'll send people for him which was a 30 mile journey which in those days would take two days journey Okay, so this is no easy feat. You think 30 miles, you're like, no problem. I'll do that on my bike. I'll Uber it, all right? So that's this person who is not a Christian. Let's continue reading, and let's look at how Peter responds to a much similar situation. Verse number nine. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry. I can relate with that. Let's just pause and just be like, yeah, Peter, we all been there, right? You're praying, trying to read your Bible, trying to get closer to God. And all of a sudden, the tummy's rumbling. And all of a sudden, you're praying about what God's going to provide for meals. So I can relate with Peter. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, 
And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they were called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Here Cornelius hears from God and obeys immediately. But then when it comes to Peter, he also hears from God. But what does he say to God? Not so, Lord. I find it interesting that in the same breath where he can call him Lord, he can also say no. Because to signify that somebody is Lord means to signify that they are an authority over you. So here Peter is saying no to his higher authority. I think many Christians oftentimes may find ourselves in Peter's place. Where God is speaking and calling and saying to us, but yet we look at God and say, hey, you're still God, but no. And why wouldn't we? Especially if our main objective is our safety, because God will call us out of our comfort zone all the time. Because you can't fulfill your calling in your comfort zone. God is always going to pull you out of that place where you get comfortable. Every time you feel like you finally are getting the hang of things, finally kind of getting, getting set, all of a sudden God will shake things up because God wants something from you. And he never wants you to lose sight of it. He always wants you to be dependent upon him. So he might shake things up in your life so that you and I are reminded that, wait a minute, my hope comes from the Lord. My hope is not Dr. Fauci. My hope is not a vaccine. My hope is not a presidential election. My hope is not the economy. My hope is from the Lord. And so God is doing that in the life of Peter right now. He's trying to remind him of these things. But what is Peter doing in response to God? He's saying, no, Lord. How strange a tale for a man like Peter to lead the church to be saying no to what God wants for him. You know, God desires something very simply, simple from each and every one of us, and that's obedience. If he's Lord, he wants our obedience. I find it strange that you can say, I've received salvation, but never surrender to him. To hold back something from God. You know, in every other area of your life, that would that wouldn't be, it would be unthinkable. If you're married, you would not say, hey, guess what? I'm going to hold back parts of my bank account. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back parts of me from my spouse. No, 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 no. You're, you're saying, no, we're one. So guess what? I'm, everything's open to you. You have access to everything. And God wants the same from you and I. It's amazing because God who gave everything to you and I, but yet will give nothing to him. You see, God, God gave it all, but yet we withhold it from him. We won't surrender. Please write this down. You can't say you're devoted to God and disobey him at the same time. But yet that's the game Peter wanted to play. He said, God, I'm devoted, but I'm not going to obey you. But I sure am devoted to you. Here's the problem. Here is a lost person by the name of Cornelius doing a better job than Peter was doing at following Jesus. I think sometimes there are some better Christians who aren't Christians out there. But if we as Jesus followers say, you know what, I claim to, know, to follow Jesus, then guess what? That means we obey him in every area of our life. 
Everything this Bible teaches us to do, we say, you know what, I'm going to do it. Everything that God tells us to do, we say, I'm going to obey it. Because I call him Lord, which means he's an authority, which means I follow my authority. So when he calls me to do something, when he calls me to be somewhere, I obey because I'm devoted to him. And I cannot say I'm devoted to somebody and then in the same breath disobey them. And that's the struggle that he's working with. But I said he's in the city of Joppa. You say, why is that so fascinating? Because the city of Joppa, there was another famous preacher who went to this city. I don't know if you're familiar with the Old Testament, but there's a short little book. It's four chapters long. It's entitled the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want to go to the city of Nineveh. So instead, he tried to run from God. And to run from God, he goes to a small port city. The port city was called Joppa. And at Joppa, he buys a boat to go to another island as far away from God as he possibly could. But here's the difference between Jonah and Peter. Many people called Jonah the reluctant prophet. Jonah was not a reluctant prophet. Jonah was a rebellious prophet who it took three days in the, whale of a, in the belly of a whale for him to wake up and repent that he is rebellious against God. You say, well, how long did it take Peter to repent? Notice if you would, verse number 16. It says, this was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. God just had to say it three times. For Jonah, it was three days. For Peter, it was three times. He said, okay, I get it. I get it. That proves God's long-suffering and his mercy on us. That's what that is. You say, man, I wish God would just kind of smite this person or God would just send down that lightning that we saw last night and strike this person. You know, God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering to Jonah. He's long-suffering to Peter. And he's long-suffering for you and I. Because God doesn't look for a perfect person. He's just looking for a person who says, you know what? Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. So Jonah was in Joppa, but Jonah was on the run in protest to God, while Peter was on the roof praying to God. You know something? I believe all of us are at our own spiritual Joppa. That God is saying, hey, this is a place of decision here. It's a place where you need to make a decision. Are you truly following Jesus? We have this term, we don't use it so much in the church world today, but it's a term called consecration. The term consecration means it's been ceremonial cleansed. In 2010, my wife and I, we went to Israel and we saw the wailing wall, the weeping wall, the west wall. It's the place where the uh, Jewish people, it's the closest that they can get to where the old temple used to stand. So people would take little pieces of paper and they'd write a prayer and they would stick it into the walls. I was a little bit disappointed when I was doing some research on this that I didn't know once a year they get little vacuums, they suck out the little papers in the walls. I was like, nah, my paper from 10 years ago, my prayer is gone. Man, it's a good thing that God heard my prayer. I don't need to write down my prayer. But I was just thinking, man, it's kind of a bummer. They sweep up all the little prayers because they get millions and millions of little prayers tucked in there. But before you were allowed to go in there, they had these fountains, these little, little fountains that you had to go to. And if you were a visitor that wanted to go and touch the wall, it didn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter who you were. A couple things had to happen. For, for everyone had to wear some type of a head covering. Everyone, male or female, everybody, you had to cover your head. You were not allowed to go into this place because this is a sacred place for all Jewish people. You had to have your head covered, but then you had to go to these fountains and you had to ceremonially wash your hands. But here's the thing, you couldn't touch the nozzle, so you use this little, little uh, kind of a, a bucket thing. If you're Filipino, it's a tabo, 
And uh, you, you use this little thing and you kind of wash. But then you would have to wash your hands a certain way. There was a ceremonial way that you would cleanse your hands. And there was a certain length of time. It was called, the process is called consecration. Something that is a lost art in the church. Consecration means I'm cleansed and I'm set apart for the master's use. You see, we as people who say we love God should be consecrated to his calling on our life. That we say, God, I'm ceremonially cleaning myself. You say, how do I clean myself, pastor? Do I take a good shower? Do I take a a hot bath? What do I do to cleanse myself? No, the Bible says, wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. We take the word of God and we allow it to purify our thoughts. We meditate too much on what's going on in this world. We meditate too much on what's going on on, online. And instead, we take God's word and we allow it to purify our heart and our emotions and wash us. And we allow God to cleanse us so we can be consecrated to him. And this is not a one-time process. You and I, we live in this world. We pick up things. And so in this world, we constantly come to God and we say, you know what, Lord, I I know I've allowed some things in my life. I, I watched some things this week. I, I heard some things this week. And, 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 and Father, I, forgive me, I did some things this week I'm not proud of and I'm ashamed of. And so i got to confess them to you. And it could be a little thing. It could be a big thing. You ever just get pricked in your conscience over something you did or you didn't do? You ever just get grieved that, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that? And then at that moment, you say, you know what? I was wrong. That's where we cleanse our heart. That's where we don't build things up. That's where we say, you know what, Lord, I need to come to you, and I need to get this right. I don't want to be a Jonah on the run from you. I want to be a Peter who says, you know what, let me pray. You see, Peter, he didn't delay like Jonah. Jonah delayed what God wanted to do. And many times, you and I are delaying instead of obeying God. You see, obedience brings greater opportunity for more obedience. But too often, what we have done, church, is we are living an inverted gospel. You say, what's an inverted gospel? You see, the gospel is simply this, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I take up my cross, and I follow him, and I live my life pursuing God. The inverted gospel is, no, 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 no. Jesus, you died for me, so guess what? Follow me, because it's all about my dreams. It's all about my life. That's the inverted gospel, and that's what a lot of people today want to follow. They want to follow a God who actually follows them, which makes no sense at all because I've been behind some of you on the freeway. You don't know where you're going. Like, you have no clue. I've watched some of you date, and I'm like, yeah, you got no clue. I've watched some of you when it comes to life, and I'm just like, yeah, you had no clue. So to think that you want the creator of the universe, all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful to follow you, good luck. No, 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 no. It's I want to repent and say, Lord, I'm consecrated to you, so I follow you. You're the leader. This week I was hiking in Zion, and many people were commenting. They were like, oh, pastor, I didn't know you loved to hike. I don't love to hike. I love my wife, and she likes to hike, so I like to hike. But she would constantly, but but my problem is, if if we're going to go somewhere, I'm going to get there. I'm just going to get there. And I I would forget that, wait a minute, and she would often call me out, and she was like, hey, I look like I'm hiking by myself because you're like 25 yards ahead of me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get there. I'm just like, let's go. 
let's come back, that we had a great time. She's like, no, no, no. You see all these other little hiking couples, hiking buddies, whatever they are, they look like they're together. You and I just look like strangers wandering here in this hot wilderness. And I was like, well, we are straight. No, I'm just kidding. And, and you, know, said, you know, we're just wandering. And she's like, no, you're getting too far ahead. You need to stay with me. And that's, that's it, isn't it? We need to stay with God. All right, God, I don't want to get too far ahead. I don't want to get behind. Lord, just, I want to stay in lockstep with you. Because here's what I found. My wife said something very profound. I'll give her credit and say she made it up. She said, Micaiah, you may go faster by yourself, but you'll go farther together. And I was like, ooh, that's deep. She's like, yeah, because my backpack has the snacks. And I was like, yeah, I see what she's doing there. Yes, we will go farther. Let's stay close and have snacks. That was the best part of hiking. We got to have snack breaks, beef jerky. It was great. So understand when it comes to following God, we want to stay in lockstep with what he has called us to. And what did he call Peter to? He gives him a, a view of something very strange. Did you, did you get what it was? It was this white sheet with all these manner of creatures. And it had four corners. The four corners represent the four corners of the globe. And the, it, Jesus was not trying to tell Peter about his diet. He was trying to change Peter's direction. That's what he was trying to do. You see, Peter at that time thought, you know what? The gospel of Jesus is only for Jews. And God was trying to change that and say, no, the gospel is for the Gentiles. It's for the whole world. You see, you and I get to have the gospel because of what happened here in Acts chapter number 10. You see, the gospel is more than just uh, that God loves the Jewish people. No, 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 that God loves the whole world. But at this time, Peter didn't know that. You and I, we, we, we know that. We sing it. Jesus loves all the children of the world. And then we go through it. And I don't even know if that's politically correct to sing that old song. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Black, brown, yellow, black, and white. I don't know if we're allowed to even sing that anymore. Maybe it's not politically correct. Maybe it's a song we, we shouldn't sing. I don't know. But we used to sing that. Jesus loves all the children of the world. And you and I, we grew up knowing that. But in Peter's day, it wasn't that Jesus loved all the children of the world. It was that Jesus loves all the Jews of the world. And he, and he didn't think that was wrong. That was, that was the tension that he lived under, that the gospel was only for the Jewish people. And then Jesus is coming in here and is going to say, no, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And here Jesus actually makes a statement when he talks about clean. It's the word consecration that Jesus is saying, no, 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 they're consecrated. How are they consecrated? Because Jesus shed his blood for all mankind. Now, you have a decision to surrender to that and repent of your sin. But Jesus has paid sin's penalty for all people for all time. That's why Jesus said, Peter, don't call unclean what I have cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus. That's why we could, Jesus could say everybody has value. You know, church, if, if, if people would just look at the word of God and rightly divide it, they would see, hey, guess what? Here's how we deal with racism. They would just see it. Wait, God loves everybody. And he tells us to love everybody. We wouldn't have these issues if we had more people just diving into God's word and, and, and just see it. It's just right there. God's trying to teach to his people. God's trying to lead us. So God is not changing Peter's diet. He's changing his direction. But Peter had to come to this idea of obedience. He had to get over that, wait a minute, I'm devoted to God, but I disobey God. No, no, no. If you're devoted to God, you obey him. You don't disobey him. But then notice this. God sometimes gives direction without details. Did you know it's verse 17? Now while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, he didn't know. 
God had a direction, but he didn't give details. But then as you follow along, verse number 20, it says, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I've sent them. He says, don't give in to doubt, but it's easy to give in to doubt. How many of you, uh, you rely on GPS navigation to travel? Okay, my hand's up too. Yep, yep, there's a few of you. How many, how many still re- use an old Rand McNally map? Anybody? Hey, yeah, we got one person. I don't even think you know what Rand McNally map is. I, I, I don't think so, all right? We have a few people that do know what a Rand McNally map is. But when it comes to GPS, if it's Siri, if it's your car, if it's Alexa, they tell you turn by turn where to go, right? And isn't it amazing? For the most part, you listen or you listen to the elbow into your ribs from your spouse that, hey, you missed the turn, and then you follow it. Why is it as Christians we have an easier time obeying our GPS instead of obeying God? Just why is that? Why is it that everywhere we just trust the GPS? And GPS is wrong so many times. I can attest to that. Like, I'm like, I followed the map. There ain't no road here. There ain't no McDonald's here. There ain't nothing. What, where did you take me? And I think some engineer at Google just was like, <laughs> I think he's on the other side sitting in some nice air-conditioned building just like, yeah, you thought you were going to ditch the traffic. Because I'm that guy on Google like, hey, we're stuck in traffic. There's got to be a small little road that I could take. And it just, it never works out. And yet you and I, we trust all these other things. But God is saying, I'm the creator of the universe. I know all time from the end, from the beginning. But yet you don't trust me? To direct your steps. You see, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. There is delight when we follow God. So God sometimes will give you direction without the details. But I love this. Even though Peter didn't have all the details of the vision, did you see the miracle that God still did? God sent the person that has the details to Peter's door and was knocking at his door. You see, God isn't going to leave you in the dark. God sent Cornelius' servants to Peter's house as Peter's on the roof. Huh, I'm hungry. I wonder what this vision's all about. Knock, knock. Guess what? Destiny's at the door. God can bring it to you. Some of us are so concerned about whether or not we should do this or shouldn't do that when God's like, I've got destiny at the door. I've got what you need coming to your door if you will obey. But some of us are like, nope, my way's better. My direction's better. I'll trust my map. I'll trust my way. And God's like, why? Then you're going to miss what I'm trying to send to you. So we need to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this moment because I believe you're sending something right now. I believe that you are directing somebody to my door that has the details that's going to help me with the rest of this journey. Because those men had the details that Peter didn't have. Because sometimes God will give you direction and not the details. And many of you know that. Some of you say, I'm in a marriage that's not always easy, but guess what? I know God wants me to be in this marriage. I don't have all the details how it's going to work out, but God's going to provide the details. Some of you are in a job situation. You don't know how it's all going to work out, but you're just like, you know what? God, I know you want me to work, make a living, provide for my family, provide for my loved ones. God, so I'm going to trust you with the details. God, I I, I know that there's a direction. I just don't have all the details. And so you've got to trust God and have faith. You see, part of the answer he wanted was actually delivered to his door. But not only that, I love this. As we continue reading the same chapter, verse 24, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
And as Peter coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Here's Cornelius. He was worshipping Peter. And Peter says, Guess what? I'm not a celebrity. I'm a servant. Get up. It's okay. Let's keep going. And so then the next verse, it says, verse number 26, 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. But then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with uh, or go to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? I find that verse so interesting, verse 29. For what reason am I here? Here's Peter saying, I'm now in Caesarea, 30 miles, two-day journey, followed your servants, probably still hungry, but here I am, why am I here? Here's Peter, the man that God said, upon this rock I will build my church. The man who preached at Pentecost, who you would think if God gave any details, it'd be to Peter. So here's Peter, and he still doesn't have all the details. He's just following God's direction. And you and I think that God is always going to provide the details. I think some of us just need to say, Lord, I know you've got the details. Just keep me on your path. Just keep me on the right direction. Just keep me following you. And, Lord, you, I know you'll provide the details. We used to sing a song. It's an old song by Rich Mullins. It's called Step by Step. Oh, God, you are my God. Early, and I will ever praise you. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. We used to believe that. We used to believe that step by step, I would follow God. That it's just every step. Many of us, we want to know what 10, 15 years looks like. When God's like, you can barely handle this step. Why are you asking about 10, 15 years? Just take this step. I just want you to read your Bible today. I just want you to pray today. I just want you to love your children today. I just want you to go to church today. I just want you to stand up for your family today. I just want you to live a godly life today. I just want you to represent me today. I just want you to tithe today. I just want you to go give away backpacks today. I just want you to give and tell them about Jesus today. I just want you to take a step. Some of us are overcomplicating Christianity when God's like, I just want you to take a step. Because if you will take that simple detail, you'll find that, wait a minute, this direction is really going somewhere. We're really getting there. We're really seeing God do something here. As I'm just following him step by step, he's leading me. I once did a a, a chapel for uh, my kid's school a few years ago. And uh, my son Austin, he's here. And and I got a bunch of thumbtacks, a bunch of thumbtacks and uh, and a blindfold. And I spread thumbtacks in front of the stage, a bunch of thumbtacks. And then I asked Austin to come up on the stage. And he thought I was going to give him money or candy or something. Nope. I was going to blindfold him and ask him to take off his shoes and take a walk. Yeah. I was like, ooh, payback. No, no, no. I asked my son, I was like, hey, Austin, do you trust me? And he was like, "Uh, nope. And uh, I was like, well, you're up here. Here we go. I was like, hold on to me because I'll guide your bare feet through these thumbtacks. But you got to trust me. You know, there's a whole lot worse things out in the world than thumbtacks that you and I have to avoid. And we don't see coming. We We don't see it. We don't see that the little things of... The sickness, the job loss, the car accident. The, we, we, we just don't see these things. Some of us are still mourning over a lost opportunity that God may be like, I saved you, child. I saved you, daughter. I saved you from something, and right now you don't even see how much I saved you from it. 
Some of us in heaven, we're going to get the gift of total perspective. Like, I don't know about you, but I just want to get in the little room and watch my whole life in reverse and say, okay, what would have happened if I would have gone left instead of right? Okay, what would have happened if I would have gone right instead of left? What would have happened if I would have done this or that? And, and, and all these other things. And then we're going to see, whoa, God, I'm really glad I did what you wanted me to do because look how that could have trailed off to all these other messed up things that I never wanted to be over there. So we need to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you lead me. And God, I don't need all the details because I know you've got the details. And you're going to give me exactly what I can handle when I can handle it. But Peter, he comes to this moment and he doesn't know why he's here. I think it's obvious to you and I why Peter is there. Peter's there to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's there to be the first evangelist to tell these people that Jesus loves them. You see, there's something every man and woman and child needs to know. That all men, mankind, we all have the same creator. You were not evolved. You didn't come from some primordial ooze. Uh, 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 You're not a cousin to King Kong. That, that, That didn't happen. You have a creator. His name is God. He created you. He made you. You're formed out of the dust of the earth with his likeness. We have the same creator. We're all sinners. And we all need the same savior. All of us. And that was the message that Peter was brought to preach to these people. But here's what's so powerful. Notice verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, so Peter was preaching the gospel to these people, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out in the, in, on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he de- commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. In the middle of his message as trying to present the gospel, hadn't even got to his third point, hadn't even got to the invitation, the worship team had not even come on the platform, there was no guitar playing, there was no keyboard, there was no padding underneath the music, there was no nice vocals in the background, there was nothing yet. In the middle of his message, the entire room that Cornelius had assembled, even though in that day they didn't have text message, they didn't have a way to communicate, hey, we're almost there, almost there, five minutes out, ten minutes out. No, 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 it's a two-day journey, you don't know when they're going to get there. So Cornelius just got a bunch of people said, hey, hang out at my house for a while, maybe a day or two. We don't know, but just come over to my house. So Cornelius got all these people, even though he's not a born-again Christian, and he says, come here. We're, I don't know why, but just come over to my house. I'll feed you. And there's this guy, he, Peter, he's going to be over here. Let's listen to him. And all those people that were assembled, they immediately get saved. They interrupt Peter's sermon. And then they start speaking in other tongues. They start praising God. They start magnifying God right there in the middle of the message. And what does Peter do? He's like, my work is done. They're saved. And he's like, oh, I don't need to finish this message. You already got the point. He already figured it out. It finally dawned on him, hey, they all needed to get saved. God directed my steps so that I could show that this a group of people can receive the Holy Spirit. And he had witnesses that were there and he wanted to make it manifest so that other Jews and the other church in Israel, they, they knew, wait a minute, God doesn't just want to save the Jewish people. He wants to save all people. And since he wants to save all people, guess what? The Jewish people need to go start telling all people. Here's the thing. That's the direction that God gave for them, but it just so happens to be the same direction that God's given to our church. 
to go tell all people everywhere the message of the gospel, that Jesus died for sinners, that he saves sinners, that we need to take it everywhere. But what often happens is we never tell them, we never witness. I, I know of many Christians who will live and die and never once, never once open a Bible and show somebody how they can know for sure that Jesus is their Savior and heaven is their home. They've never done it. Never witnessed anybody. We used to call them soul winners. Now, we know that we don't win anybody to our side. It's ultimately that we're winning them against the war, against darkness. We're winning them to God's side. But being a soul winner, somebody who says, you know what? I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to make sure that people know that they can have an eternal heaven, that they can have eternal home in heaven. That's what we're called to do. That's what Peter was brought. This whole journey was about understanding that. But yet, oftentimes, Christians punt on our responsibility to tell people about Jesus, to tell people that, you know what, you can know Jesus your Savior. Can I tell you it's a simple thing? In our church, we need to learn this. I don't know how much time we have on this earth, so we need to be busy telling people how they can know about Jesus. And it's a simple question. Yesterday, I, I, I talked with somebody, and they were telling me everything that was going on in their life. They said, oh, we got coronavirus. Oh, we're depressed. Oh, the job situation. Oh, the school. And I said, you know what, everybody's dealing with that. He said, Pastor, that's kind of mean. You're supposed to comfort them. I said, you know, we're all dealing with that. Any of that, what you're going through, is actually Jesus. Have you ever prayed to accept him into your heart for forgiveness of sins? And all of a sudden, they just kind of stop. They just kind of stop. Because they don't even know that that's possible. They're so focused and distracted on the details, they miss that somebody's trying to direct them towards God. You said they want all these other details. Hey, fix my job, fix my marriage, fix my kids, fix this. When God's like, no, 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 there's a direction here. We need a change. You're headed to hell. I want to get your direction changed to heaven. So how I'm going to do that is I'm going to take this person who doesn't have all the details, and I'm going to use that person to direct this person. That's how God does it. And he wants to use each and every one of us to go and tell somebody about Jesus. Because guess what? Each and every one of us knows somebody who doesn't know Jesus, whose direction right now to night if they pass away they will spend eternity in a lake of fire and you and I have the ability to pray with them and say you know what you don't know Jesus your savior you need to turn from your sin and receive Jesus your savior it's a turn in direction we need to teach people to learn to turn remember driving school is all about the reverse turn it was all about turning well guess what as Christians we have a school we need to teach people to learn to turn we need to help them to say you know what you need to turn from your sin turn from your rebellion turn from your wickedness and turn to the savior And when they turn to the Savior and they see him glorious, all of a sudden they realize, this is what I've always wanted. This is what I've always needed. And that's the mission and mandate of a church. And let's get real practical here for a second. We live in a day and age where it's becoming more and more. Every week you're seeing more and more people are saying, don't go to church. Church is bad. Church is bad. Although you can see that if it's the right person, their funeral will be packed out with no social distancing it's the right person although you can go to las vegas and i flew into las vegas lost all my money i'm just kidding i didn't i didn't flew in there drove out of sin city all right and you can go there and you can pack out a casino but you can't pack out a church so what you and i need to do is to go and tell people hey look if you feel comfortable coming to church you come to church we got plenty of room for you because nobody is right now saying hey i think i should go to church You know, it used to be, it used to be whenever somebody 
went through a transition in their life or trouble in their life, they looked for God. I'm going to tell you right now, most people right now are going through trouble and going through transition. And so they don't know to Google Southridge Church to watch the live stream. But they used to see that we were at that high school and they saw those backpacks. They were thinking, hey, where are you guys meeting? I should go over there. People are looking for something. And we need to say, you know what? It's not about my safety. It's about their salvation. So what do I need to do to help that person receive Jesus Christ? Because guess what? I get eternity with a perfect body that will never suffer from disease, age, nothing. I know I'll be as tall as Adam. I know I will. I better be as tall as him. Good six foot two. Finally be able to dunk a basketball or, some, or, or like reach the top cabinet. I pray at least that. But understand, we have the ability to tell people about Jesus and we need to in this hour. People are looking for hope. They're hurting. And so you and I need to say, you know what? There's still a church because they're not Googling it. They're not going online. They're not getting invites. So it's up to the church to go be the church. Not to be scared and say, I don't have all the details. Uh, I don't know what to do. No, 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 no. I'm going to film this testimony because it was so powerful. It wrecked me the other day. And the Johnson were just talking. I talked to Daniel Johnson after he led somebody to the Lord. He said, you know, I didn't know what to say. But all of a sudden you just start saying stuff. And then they're bowing their head and they're praying to receive Jesus Christ. He said, I don't, I don't know the word. I just said, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? And here's the deal. Cornelius was ready, wasn't he? He even brought a crowd to hear the preaching that Peter was going to preach. Understand, God can arrange a divine appointment that when you will say, you know what? I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to share the gospel. God can put the right person on the right bus, on the right bar, right, on the right train, at the right job, the right interview, in the right grocery store, the right teller, the right neighbor, the right person passing by. God will put the right person who says, I'm looking for God. I'm looking for truth. And guess what? Then here comes you who heard a message about telling people about Jesus, and God puts this divine interaction, it's this divine appointment, it's this divine collision, where all of a sudden this person whose life was headed to the track to hell is now headed to heaven because they came in contact with you. That's what we're to be about. That's what the church is to be about. But yet right now the church is so afraid to even say that we go to church. You know, there's got to come a day where we're just like, yeah, I go to church, come on with me. Like, like arm in arm, whatever, let's, let's go, all right? The, guys, look at the facts. The medium age of death for COVID is 78 years old. That's the medium age that people are dying of COVID, okay? You know, the average life expectancy of a person is only 78 years old. Like, they're the same. SARS and H1N1 killed 4 million. We're at 600,000 glo 600, global deaths, all right? Like, there's got to come a point where we just say, you know what? Hold on now. What am I afraid of? Like, this is blocking. There are more people who are going to die and go to hell because there are pastors who are saying, hey, let's shut this thing down. Let's just go online. And I'm thinking, where do lost people know to look online? You say, well, they can go find Joel Osteen. Yeah, and go find a social gospel that's a false gospel and gives them false hope. So guess what? They're bound to hell anyway. Oh, I, I offended a lot of you. I'm sorry. But it's the truth. Because the guy that'll tell you that you're 99.9% .9 good, guess what? A guy that'll tell you that is a liar. And a guy like that is being used to destroy and pervert people that they think, guess what? I'm good enough to go to heaven then. If I'm 99.9% .9 good, guess what? Then God better let me in the throne of heaven. Excuse me. Excuse me. That's why so many people today think they're saved. That's why so many people... Well, why did he say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in the book of Hebrews? 
Why did he say that? There, there is such a thing as eternal security, and there is such a thing of us checking to make sure that we know that we're going to heaven, and we wrestle with that and say, wait a minute, am I truly repentant of my sin? Have I truly received Jesus? Do I truly experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Because if you're never experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you're never experiencing his direction, his divine leading and correction in your life, then I need you to pray and say, wait a minute, God, have I received you? Or did I just kind of do a name and claim it prayer, just kind of a get it out of hell, just a little fire insurance? And we need to be careful about that. Because there are men who can fill stadiums with a false gospel. That's why there's a broad road and a narrow road. And I know at times in today's day and age where we just think everybody just needs to get along kumbaya and just kind of let them do their thing. No, 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 no. Where people are giving people a false hope, that's a dangerous thing. Because it's just that much harder to actually get them to see the error. I'm running out of time. Notice this, finally. It was not a desire that changed people's lives, but a decision. I think too often many of us feel like, well, I have the right desire. I wanted to be there at the backpack giveaway. No, it was a decision to set the alarm to show up. It was just a decision. It's not a desire. I have a desire for all kinds of things, but it's decisions. It's decisions to say, you know what? Guess what? I don't need to love my wife just when I desire to love my wife. No, it's a decision. Love your wife. It's a decision that, hey, guess what? I'm going to be a man of integrity. It's a decision. It's not desires. We live in a world filled with, hey, do I feel like doing this? Do I desire to do this? No, no, no. You see, Peter made a decision that I am going to go and I'm going to preach and I'm going to go to this person. And God blessed it. God used it. Success in the Christian life is when opportunity meets obedience. You say, why did Peter get to be a part of such a wonderful event? Because his obedience met God's divine opportunity. What area of obedience is God calling you to that's going to open up an area of divine opportunity? Where if you say, I'm going to say yes to God in this area, what other thing might he do? I said yes that, you know what, instead of going to a secular college, I'm going to go to a Christian college. And at a Christian college, I met my wife who, come to find out, had a scholarship to a much better college, who said, you know what, I'm going to turn down a scholarship, and I'm so thankful she did. And that's where I met her. Why? Because two people said, you know what, I'm going to obey God, and guess what, obedience is going to meet a divine opportunity. Some of you are wondering why you're not seeing God work in your life. It's because of disobedience, not obedience. And success in the Christian life is when obedience meets opportunity. But it starts with obedience. And we have here in front of us an opportunity for obedience. You see, it was a journey from Joppa. And this is where you and I face ourselves. We say, Lord, it's a journey. What am I going to do? I'm going to make a decision here. You and I have to make a decision. Are we going to pursue and follow the Lord? Or are we going to stay blind and ignorant? You say, what do you mean blind and ignorant? Let me illustrate it like this. My wife wanted to continue hiking. I was done at noon. I was like, mm, it's noon. We've been hiking since early this morning, five hours. I'm good. You got the keys. You take the rental car back. I'm going to hike back out, okay? 110 degrees. And uh, they used to have a free shuttle service in Zion, okay? But because of COVID, they, I didn't see any of their free shuttles. And so uh, 
actually, I was going to take the rental car, and she was going to take a shuttle. But then when I got to our rental car, I realized I had left the keys in her backpack, and she's somewhere out in the wild blue yonder, just out there. And the driver who brought me there was like, you want to go find her? I was like, no. You see how hot it is? My camelback's about empty. I said, there's a nice pool at our hotel, and I'm going to go find that pool. And so I got out, and then I went to our car, and I was like, I don't have the keys. What am I going to do? And our hotel was nine miles from the gate of the park. And I was thinking, how bad can it be? I'll just walk. So, yeah, you're laughing. It's it's a nine-mile walk. And I was thinking, 30 minutes, I'm good, I'm in shape. No, no. Halfway through, I'm going to a little convenience store, and everything is a gotcha kind of convenience store. You say, what do you mean a gotcha convenience store? You know, you get up to the counter, your little bottle of Gatorade, because my Camelback ran out, and you put it up there, it's two fifty, and the guy's like, oh, we have a $5 surcharge. Gotcha. You got to spend $5 now? I was like, come on, give me a break. I'm like dehydrated here, and he didn't care. So I get my little Gatorade, and I keep on walking, and I'm just walking, walking, and yeah, it takes me about an hour and 20 to get back to our hotel. I pass out on the floor 15 minutes later, knock at the door, open the door. It's Jane. I was like, how'd you get here in 15 minutes? She's like, I took the shuttle. I was like, what shuttle? I was like, they charge for that shuttle. And we were paying like $30 per person for a shuttle. She's like, no, that shuttle is free. I spent an hour and 15, hour and 20, hike nine miles, 110 heat. I'm passed out here on the floor. All because I didn't know because of my ignorance. I think some of us are missing out on some of God's greatest blessings because of our own ignorance and not saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this Bible and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know what it says. I know it's different. Somebody said, told me today, I think it was one of my kids, Dad, you're going to preach out of Acts again? Again? There's like other books. And I was like, yeah, but we're not through it yet. It's chapter 10. And I think we got 16 more chapters to go or something like that. He's like, oh, and I know it's different, but we're just going verse by verse by verse because I don't want us to miss anything anymore. I don't want us to look back and be like, man, pastor, you didn't tell me. I want us to know what we need to know so that we're ready to go. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'll ask the worship team to come up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, there's so many rich truths in this book, so much you want to say to us. Oh, God, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by the opportunity that we have in front of us. That the church can be the brightest light in the darkest of seasons. That we can point people from death to life. That we can set people on a new direction. If we would simply but open our mouths and be obedient to you and to tell people about Jesus. Oh, Lord, may you put inside of us a passion to tell people about a wonderful, glorious Savior. Would you help our church to change its direction? That we become a church that we're just passionate about telling people about Jesus. Yeah, we love to talk about sports, love to talk about food, love to talk about cars, love to talk about clothing, shopping, jobs, all that. But the one thing we love to talk about the most is to talk about your son, Jesus. Father, would you wreck us that we have this deep desire that every conversation we have with somebody, we point it towards you that we determine whether this person has a relationship with you, whether this person knows you, because we want to see heaven populated and hell depopulated. We want to fill heaven and empty hell. We want to win people. Father, would you help us? With every head bowed and every eye closed.
while we sing this final invitation song, if you'd like to spend a few moments kneeling at the altar praying, saying, Lord, help me to surrender to your direction, to give up my incessant need for all the details. Though we are detail-oriented people, if you'd like to spend time at the altar or do you like to turn your, your seat into an altar and kneel there, but let's take a few minutes and spend it with God. I know you've invested a lot of time. I know you took some time out. Maybe you haven't eaten dinner. But, but don't rush through this moment. Don't rush through this time where you say, you know what? Yeah, I may miss an episode or two of something else. Or I can wait another five, ten minutes to eat. But right now, I want to spend some time with God. So as our worship team sings this final song, let's spend some time in prayer. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. Again, that's southridgesanjose.com slash connect.